1: Hello and welcome to episode 64 of the It's About the Yankees Stupid Podcast. I'm your host, Dominic Lanza, and this evening I am joined by E.J. Fagan. Good evening, Dominic. Hello, sir, and Scott Moss. Hey, guys. Yeah, For for posterity's sake, um, we're recording, it's a little after 6.30 on Monday night, December 5th. Um, as of now, I've been frantically checking MLB trade rumors. Um Leading up into us starting to record to make sure the Yankees didn't do anything else crazy. But the last Yankees news we had was that they signed Matt Holiday, uh, which broke last night around this time. So makes sense to lead off with that. Uh, EJ, what do you think of the signing?
2: I think it's a good signing, right? Matt Holiday is uh, you know an above-average hitter. He's a guy with some upside. So last year he was significantly better than above, above average until he came down with I think it was a thumb injury. And I think he's just begging to be a DH. Um, you know, he's a big guy. I, I, I didn't realize how big uh, Big Daddy Matt Holiday, which is his nickname, uh, was until I looked. He's 6'4", 240. Um, you know, and he's been in the National League, I think, his entire career, or at least uh, other than that, like, one year in Oakland. Uh, so, you know, I think that Matt Holiday, you know, you put him at DH, you, you let him hit, maybe you see him a little bit against uh, left-handed pitching, um, um, right-handed pitching, and you're, I think he got a pretty good uh, a, a pretty good DH.
1: I think the good thing about Holiday, and I wrote about this a little bit um, a few weeks ago and again today, is that he has no discernible platoon split. Um, last year, he had a, a 109 WRC plus against lefties and a 108 WRC plus against righties.
2: Even without that platoon split, though, like the other guy you could platoon him with might have a platoon sp- split. So there still could be reason to sit him.
1: Yeah, for sure. It'll depend on what the rest of their roster looks like from there. But this is compared to, you know, a lot of the guys we were looking at, like Brandon Moss, Adam Lind. Guys who cannot hit pitching of a certain hand and need to be platooned. They don't necessarily need to look for that for Holiday. It would make them better if they did, but it's not an out-and-out necessity.
3: Yeah, I don't really like the signing, and I like Holiday. You know, I'm a Rockies fan too, and I feel embarrassed I didn't know this, but apparently his last two years in Colorado were my first two years, and he lived literally four blocks from me. And I know this only because I came to be friends with the people who bought his house. It was this fairly modest, actually, but kind of nice walk-up, brownstone. And I thought afterwards, you're kidding me. Uh, You know, you people are nice and all, but I could have been BFFs on that holiday. So, oh, well. But my take is that two problems. First is that he's not the guy he was. That's not any newsflash. But he was a really good hitter through 2013 and then two years in the 120s, OPS plus, and last year just above average. And he'll be 37 next year. So the odds he's an above average hitter seem low. The upside, uh, the most likely best case is he's about a average to slightly above average hitter with no defensive value. He's a DH. And that's not much above replacement value for a DH. It's not hard to find a DH who's an average hitter. And then there's the downside that he could fall off a cliff. He could be the Travis Hafner Memorial signing because Hafner, it's easy to forget, was actually really good through age 35 before the Yankees got him. He'd been a 120s to 130s OPS guy for many years and then just the bus drove off the cliff. So that's one problem. It seems like it's all downside with Holiday. Now, is he worth 13 million? Probably because that's the going rate for a guy who's a maybe an average hitter with some power. But the problem is that if they're Signing a Holiday rather than Encarnacion or somebody, that's a concession of the reality that their rebuilding is not worth sacrificing the future. Well, I don't like rebuildings that don't go all in because instead of Holiday, they could use the DH spot to give Tyler Austin some more at-bats and to give a shot – They seem to like him, I don't, to Aaron Hicks, who was marginally better in the second half. As long as they're keeping him on the premise that he might be something, let him play some outfield and rest uh, Ellsbury and Gardner, who are getting brittle. For that matter, play Mason Williams in the outfield and rest Gardner and Ellsbury, because both Gardner and Ellsbury could be better outfielders and hitters if you let them DH about a quarter of the time or something. So it seems like I don't love it as roster construction, because it prevents the DH from being used for this rotation out of those two and guys like Hedley, maybe who could use a day off, um, which I like better and it avoids going all in. So it seems like this tweener half measure. I just don't really like it. It's not clear. They'll get better production out of him than out of a rotating cast at DH anyway.
2: So let me disagree a little bit. Um, so I think that there, I think you're right that there's risk to, to holiday and that's why he, he only, he only had a you know, one year contract. Um, but I also think that there's upside so let's say there's like two scenarios where upside's interesting. So one is that let's say he hits, you know, he goes back to, like a high on base percentage, modest power guy, and you know, in you know it's mid June and all of a sudden he's, you know, he's he's a pretty good DH, um, and the Yankees are doing well. Well, then you know the Yankees have a you know have a shot to playoffs, and I think that's not out of the question for next season, even if it's not likely. Um, and a player like Matt Holliday, I think. At least give you some competitive advantage over the rotating cast of, of DHs. Um, but let's say that he's good and um, you know the the Yankees aren't doing too well. Well, then they can trade him. He's on a one year deal on a you know pretty you know, pretty reasonable uh, reasonable salary. He seems like a like a decent trade chip um, at the deadline. You can get something back for him. And let's say that's let's say that you're right. Let's say that he either gets injured or he's not very good. Then you still get to do the rotating cast. Um, so I don't really see a, a downside for Holiday at this point.
3: Yeah, I guess the downside is that middle ground where if he's terrible, he doesn't play or gets released. If he's great, then either he's helping the team contend or he's a good trade chip. And I have faith that Cashman can trade a good trade chip as he did this past season if they're not really contending. I just worry that the Yankees seem really likely to be in that middle ground where they're a little above 500. Holiday seems like I, he had enough in the tank last year that, yes, anybody could go off the cliff at 37, but he's likely to. You know, as he did last year, he had 240s with just enough power that you don't give up on him. And meanwhile, he's soaking up spots. So I guess I just don't like that he comes at a future cost of taking away a chance to see which of Austin, Williams, Hicks might be a useful member of the 2018 or 2019 team that might contend because I personally have low faith in Hicks, low faith in Austin, more faith in Williams, but reasonable people could disagree. But the point is that these are three guys where – it's probably fair to say that one out of the three has a future and we have a better chance of figuring out which if they all get four hundred at bats. But the outfield a- right
2: is still open, right? I mean the we, we haven't the Yankees still have an outfield that could that might need that space. We also don't know if Brett Gardner's staying on this roster.
3: Right. And if he gets traded then in a sense this is Arbitrage because they're basically getting rid of Gardner and functionally spilling the f- spot with Holiday because, yes, Holiday's a DH, but then those bodies go into left field. So point taken. I think this will prove to be a masterstroke if they get rid of Gardner and get something of actual value, even something like the McCann package, just two live arms as part of a restocking, uh, because that would be kind of like signing Miller and letting Robinson go. You trade uh, one guy and get a re- sign a replacement, and you get a draft picker or arms out of it.
1: Yeah, and I think the point that you're glossing over a little bit, Scott, too, is not just what EJ said with right field being open, is that the Yankees are also have a starting first baseman who basically didn't play for a calendar year in Greg Bird, and Tyler Austin's the insurance there. So as it stands, all most of those guys you mentioned, your Mason Williams, your Judge when he's ready, your... Clint Frazier, when he's ready, Tyler Austin, they have spots to play at first base and in right field, potentially. And, you know, if there is a trade, like if Gardner's moved, or, God willing, if Jacoby Ellsbury's moved somehow, there's a lot of play here. And the Yankees still have, I think, a lot of work to do before we see what next year's team is going to look like.
2: And Holiday can back up first base, too.
3: Yeah, I mean, he could fake it, it seems like. But i say, yeah, it's a fair point, which is that, look, the guys who are penciled in as regulars, you have Bird, Gardner, Ellsbury. Those are either brittle or quickly aging guys. So it's fair to say that they either could use time off, even if they're not injured, like Gardner and Ellsbury, who wear down, and Bird may need more time off or be injured. So point taken, there's less chance of a logjam of guys than I thought. I still feel like if you're going to rebuild your goal is to find out which of these three or four guys Austin, Hicks, Williams, maybe some other guys I'm forgetting, um have it in them so you want to maximize the odds of getting time for them but yeah between the odds of injury to other guys or the chance that Holiday is terrible or gets injured as he did the last two years maybe there isn't that much chance of a log jam
1: There's also the little bit of hidden value and I know it's kind of BS to talk about intangible qualities and everything but so many young players raved about working with Alex Rodriguez over the last few years. And we as Yankee fans took that to heart. And, you know, there are a lot of people on the Cardinals who credited Matt holiday with being a good teammate and kind of like a second coach on the bench and in the lineup, Matt Carpenter, Stephen Piscotti, Randall grychuk And, you know, maybe there is that little bit of value of Aaron judge or Gary Sanchez sitting next to him on the bench.
2: You know, I'll actually add to that. I was thinking about this. You know, the Yankees aren't that veterany of a team anymore. They're not exactly a young team, but there's no no batter that is that is that guy. Not even just like the guy with the teaching reputation, but a guy who has a history of being a really good hitter, like on the team. Period. Right now, you got a lot of young guys that promise. You got your Brett Gardner and. Your, you know, Jacoby Ellsbury and your Chase Headley's, who you know, I'm sure are all great teammates, but I doubt, I don't think that they, they necessarily have a, a you know, something to offer to a, a young slugger. And you know, with Brian McCann gone and Arod and Tashere gone, there, there's a little bit of a void there.
1: Yeah, it's, it's pretty much CC Sabathia is the grizzled veteran now, I guess, and he's a pitcher, not a hitter. But I mean, going from there, it's. I think this was a move that the Yankees were going to make no matter what. Not that that makes it better or worse, but they were getting a full time DH as soon as McCann was dealt. I mean, was there any doubt in anybody's mind that that's what they were going for?
2: I mean, I thought they might platoon it, do something kind of kind of creative like that, do some kind of like you know Billy Butner, Butler and some other guy. But I think once the twenty six um, man roster didn't happen with the new CBA, I think that the um, the the important thing that happened there was that. You had to you had to pull off pull, – uh, you, if you're going to bring in a full-time DH, they, they have to be able to play the field just a little bit. And I think Holliday can back up you know, in the outfield. He's not a good defensive outfielder. He's not a good defensive first baseman. Um, but, you know, he's not A-Rod. Um, he can actually go out there and play the field, which is, you know, with a four-man bench is a necessity.
1: All right, so moving on then, uh, there are two big signings today, and both of them were players that we – talked about as potential Yankees targets um, and the repercussions of one or what we're going to look into. But I guess first we should point out that uh, rich Hill ended up re-signing with the Dodgers today for three years and $48 million, which was right around where most people predicted him. Um, I think three years and 50 was what we said he might get. Um, and also when, uh, with potential for him to get a fourth year
2: effectively wild listeners will note that that's almost exactly what they've been estimating his contract act for like six months now. Yes. Um, So good job. Effectively wild.
1: Um, but you know, so scratch him off the list, even though I don't think the Yankees were ever really too involved. Uh, the other big signing was Mark Melanson to the San Francisco giants for four years and $62 million, which a lot of people are parading around as setting the record for the largest free agent contract for a reliever. Um, that's almost a moot point, though, because Chapman and Jansen are probably going to blow that out of the water. But, but he, he, I mean, he
2: gets to say that. He gets to say, like, when I signed my contract, it was the biggest contract anyone's ever given a relief pitcher. Jonathan Papelbon, <laughs> suck it, you know. Uh, <laughs>
1: but uh, I guess the big question is: is this is this establishing a new baseline for relievers? I, I I kind of have my toe in the water to say yes, because, like I said, I think Chapman and Jansen are going to blow it away big time. Um, but it'll, it'll be more telling to see what the next tier of relievers down get. Like what is, what does Ziegler get? Um, I mean, Joaquin Benoit signed shortly after this to a one year, $7 million deal, which is basically what you see these types of guys getting.
2: It seems reasonable um, too. like when he, when he that deal. Yeah. Like I want, I would, I would have loved Benoit at that, at that one. Cause last year he was basically himself. Um, throughout you know in, in the season he got traded midseason after a bad start and then had like a zero ERA after that, um, and you know yeah I I would prefer Chapman on my team but the the price difference is huge
1: massive. yeah so it's is this I guess this the bigger question then is this setting the new baseline for elite relievers is that what we're looking at?
2: I uh, you know the 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 bounded rationalist in me thinks that people are overpricing elite relief pitching. Oh, absolutely! Um, like it, it, it's fairly clear that that even like when you get up to the Mark Melanson uh, level, that the prices are so far out of whack than the medium part of that market because Benoit is a good relief pitcher, right? Like Benoit is not that much worse um, than even you know Mark Melanson or Raulds Chapman, um, and so you know if I'm if I'm Brian Cashman looking at this, number one, I'm trading Dell and Potanzas right away. Right, because I think Dallin Betances is, is has the value of one of those those top guys, and I think teams would pay through their nose for for them at this point. Um, but then I would go z- sign the I'd sign Brad Ziegler instead of Rolle Chapman at those prices.
3: Yeah, and it seems like the difference is going to be huge. So Benoit just got one year, seven point five million, the same amount he got last year, and he was really good. But problem is that he's about to be 39, so yeah, you price it down. But you know, a guy who was that good in 13, 14, 15, 16, you know, that seems like a huge discount for someone who is as good as all these other guys, basically, uh, for the past four years. So yeah, I'm with you in thinking that the top of the market is getting out of whack price-wise. But the obvious, I think, reason is that, um, well, there are a couple of reasons. One is that there are no starters to spend money on, basically. If Rich Hill was it, and the guy hasn't thrown more than 120 innings uh, really consistently. Um, there's just nowhere else to spend money if you need pitching. I think.
2: I think you're right, but I also but the, um, the thing I'll say is so you you've had a big jump up in relief pitching pricing, um, and the new CBA you know allows teams to spend a little bit more money, but not that much more money. And so the Yankees will have a pretty similar budget to what they've had over the last 10 years um, under this you know, new new five year CBA. But they're not going to. That that means that that, that they if, if they're going to spend more money on relief pitching, they need to budget it in and cut from somewhere else. It's not just like this. This is not just inflation, right? These are price increases above inflate baseball inflation.
3: Yeah, there's definitely been a rethinking of the value of relievers since. I mean, Andrew Miller was it 10 or 11 million a year for four 39 over four years. I no, believe. it was less and
2: than that. It uh, I think it was like 36, eight, eight and a half, or something like that. I mean, Miller. Miller like just missed the the real
3: payload. Yeah, he just missed it, so he's probably pissed. But, yeah, I mean, that definitely means that Batances' trade value goes through the roof as soon as the last one out of the big three signs because there's going to be some fourth or fifth team that just missed getting them. And then you get at Batances. Of course, the problem is that giving up Batances, you're really making your team worse next year. Now, I'm okay with that because I'm on – Team rebuild basically, but I think there's a real cost to leaving Tyler Clifford, Adam Warren, and I don't know Ziegler as your bullpen,
2: and Boone Logan maybe someone like that. You
3: know. <laughs> right, exactly. Or, yeah, I, I do think that,
2: I think there's a cost there, um, but I I just think I just feel like there's other ways to get this done. Right, if, if you were to get Benoit and Ziegler, and maybe you keep Batances and you get Boone Logan, and you hope that Kyle Holder or somebody turns into something good. I'm sorry, um, Jonathan Holder. Um, you know, then I think you get like 90% of the bullpen that you would have gotten had you decided instead to you know spend money on Chapman and fill in the rest.
3: Yeah, and when you consider Batances' trade value, having a couple of years before free agency still, and as you noted, I think, last week, EJ, he's not as young as you think anymore. I think you called him sneaky old because he's turning 27, 29 just before opening day. But to get three years of him before free agency is uh, really good for another team. So if you think that he could have at least as much trade value as Miller or Chapman did, boy, that's appealing to get another guy like Frazier or Torres. Now the catch is that it's possible that the the trade returns they got for Miller or Chapman, the great prospect deals, that might've been premised on basically being, um, the team that cornered the market on relievers right at the trade deadline for contenders. In other words, it's possible that, yes, the teams that just miss out on signing Chapman or whomever, or Jansen, are going to feel a little desperate in March, but maybe not as desperate as the Cubs or Indians were this past mid-season trade deadline. But it's I think it's, I agree with you. It's worth a toe in the water. I mean, say that Betancel is available if you give me some huge deal. And if the answer is no, it's no. But you make these offers, I sense, Chapman, I sense that Cashman does. You demand really good returns, and if you don't get them, you don't take a deal. They don't have to trade them, but that gives them the luxury of being picky and holding out for a great prospect package.
2: And here's you know something: it, I think if I'm a GM and I and I and I'm telling myself, dude, I really need a really good relief pitcher to make this into a, a contending team, and I look around and I see Araldus you know, Chapman demanding $120 million, and some team is going to give him that much money. You know, I think that I, I sit back and go, like, well, I think I'm kind of desperate, right? I mean, I, I, I think that these prices um, create the market, right? Now, if Chapman was getting a $60 million contract instead of $120 million, I don't think he'd go out and trade Patances, because I don't think that the cost would be high enough. But Well, good um, point, because even, if,
3: yeah. Yeah. if Patances' I mean, salary in arbitration is going to be, what, uh, 10000000 million, let's say, for the next couple of years, if he's at... $10 million a year player for the next three years. Okay, so Batances is basically on a three-year, $30 million contract for the next three years. Well, if a we role as Chapman would have cost for the same three years much more and you have to pay much, much more, then suddenly getting Batances saves you something like $40 million, $50 million, and can you get two prospects for that? Yeah. And
2: you know, for, for every every team that, that acquires Batances, assuming he's still playing well, he's still tradable. Right? There's no he doesn't have a no trade clause. Every team in baseball six months from now would probably still take Batanzas on their in, in their bullpen assuming he keeps pitching the way we think he's going to keep pitching. And I think this is a good aside to say that last year we're going to be talking about BR versus FR. Batanzas had like I think the second best fit of his career and he had a high ERA because so it kind of felt like down the stretch like Batanzas was was struggling but I, I don't think he was. I think, I think he was just getting unlucky. And um, you know that I think that portends well for his future. Now, the the side note of that is that the Yankees could also trade him at any time over the next three years, and so maybe maybe the time maybe last year proved that uh, the prices are higher for elite relief pitching at the deadline than they are you know during the off season. I don't know.
1: That's because in the off season, anybody could get some of these guys at least for money alone. That's why I had said. A, I, don't, I think it was two weeks ago when I joked that they should sign Melanson and Chapman and trade Batansas to try to maximize their value and corner the relief pitching market. But you know, right now, I think even even though you know Batances will make significantly money less money than Jansen, Melanson or Chapman um, this coming year, I think teams would be hesitant to give up something, some physical properties as opposed to when they could just give up money for other guys. But like you said, a few months from now, Batansis is going to be the only guy on the market that's that cheap and that good.
2: Yeah. I mean, the Yankees have the luxury of waiting and they, they don't, they also have the luxury of having a team that could contend, right? I mean, we could, if the Yankees wait until June or July and then, you know, all of a sudden they're on track for like a 90 win season, then you know maybe you keep you hold on to Patanzas and you try to you try to run your you know Ziegler Petances holder combo out into the uh you know into the playoffs and try to try to have a kind of mini uh mini you know Indians bullpen or something like that um you know they they, they, they there's no rush here but I would still like if I'm Brian Cashman and maybe he is doing this I'm still listening to offers cuz you know maybe maybe the Nationals really are dumb enough to trade you know Oscar Robles or something like that um Is it Oscar Robles?
1: Victor Robles. Victor,
2: Victor Robles. I'm sorry. Um, Who could steal, you know, 300 bases for us. (laughs) Uh,
1: On a side note from there, since you mentioned the Nationals a few times, uh, do you make anything of the purported rumors that Harper told the Nationals he wants a $400 million deal and the Nationals told him that uh, they don't plan on retaining him (laughs) after
2: 2018? Uh, I, that, that, I mean, look, if Harper has another MVP season, he can he can demand that. If he has another season like 2016, he can't.
1: I just think it's kind of funny news to see leaked, especially because, one, it makes both sides just look really bad. The Nationals telling their 23-year-old MVP candidate, hey, you want too much money, so after uh, 2018, you can go right ahead and fuck yourself. And Harper saying, I want to be the highest-paid athlete ever. Both sides kind of look like shit from this, and it makes me wonder how and why that came out.
2: I don't know. I I feel like I feel like the players get demonized here unfairly. I mean, I think Bryce Harper wants as much money as he could possibly get, and the as only every alternative, it, right? And, and and the only alternative is the owners get that money. It's not like it's not like Bryce Harper's you know four hundred million dollar contract is going to increase my ticket prices. My ticket prices are already set by a different market than that. Um, you know, they only increase the ticket prices if the team is really good and a lot of people want to go see the game. So, you know, I I don't think they look bad. And, you know, the teams, you know, the Nationals, maybe they could say it nicer. I haven't seen this story you're talking about. But, you know, the Nationals could say, look, yeah, you know, we're just not going to be able to afford you once you're a free agent. So we're going to ride you until you're 26.
1: I don't know. I just thought it was one of those things that was just unnecessary. And I, I agree with you. Players should go for what they think they're worth and you know like you said the alternative is the owners just pocket all that money right so uh i think it makes sense to end it there um ej and i discussed this earlier i don't know if scott will be around or stacy will be around but we're gonna we'll try to do this again this week if the yankees have some sort of a big deal happen which would be pretty neato um don't know how likely that is but yeah yeah emergency podcast emergency questions who knows But uh, anybody have anything else to add? I'm good. (laughs) All right. So have a good night, everybody.
0: At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry from delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.